welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. We're going to be in Ephesians, and we get to uh, discuss something this morning that is really near and dear to my heart, so I'm really excited to share with you. I went away um, Sunday through Tuesday to this little cottage at Lakeside. The course of the past couple of months has been really, really crazy at our church. If you've been around for any of uh, length of time, we had a tragedy in, in the church and a young boy had lost his life. And then there were also wonderful moments of presence, a couple marriages in the church and uh, new babies. So a lot going on. And I just felt like this bookend of the season, I needed to get away and just hear Jesus and just be with Jesus. So Sarah graciously said, you can go. Husbands, that was a little note for you. Everything was good at home. Sarah said, you can go. And so I went and I just sat um, with Jesus and heard from him and worshiped him. And I feel like this morning will be, um, this is his heart for us. This is the Holy Spirit's heart for us. So we get to talk about story today. For any of you who have known me for any length of time, know that I love stories. And I believe that we are a part of a bigger story, as I know that most of you do here this morning as well. Anything that has to do with story, amen. You can count me in. Jesus loved a good story. He told parables that uh, gave deeper truth to um, just everyday kind of reality. And the Father is writing a story in our world. I wanted to read the scripture together. We're going to read Ephesians 2. And we're going to start in verse 11. And we're going to go through chapter 3, verse 6. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, there's that phrase again, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on, you guys. Isn't the word good? Do you feel refreshed as the word, as we soak in God's word? Ah, ah, so good. I love Jesus. Oh my gosh, I love him. I just love him today. I love that he speaks to us. I love that he's writing the story. That this book here, we call it God's word because this is the story of God. This is the story that God is writing. Look at Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. By in verse 15, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Here it is. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This is a story of hope and closeness, and intimacy, and relationship, a story of rescue and freedom. It's the greatest story that's ever been told. And God is writing it. God is at the center of it all. So theologians and deep thinkers of deep thoughts of God would call this the meta-narrative. The huge... Have you watched... um, any sort of Netflix show, and you've binged a series, and you love the series so much because there's this arc of the depth of characters, this trajectory that the characters are on, similar to a Netflix binging show, God is writing a slower story. (laughs) But the meta-narrative is what we're talking about when we say the story of God. And I'd like to, if you have for the next five hours, ah, to read through. Let's start in Genesis, shall we? Just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. The Brown, do the Browns play today? They played Thursday. They're off. Hey, guys, the Browns won. Hey, guys. <laughs> I, I read this meme that said, today the Browns woke up for the first time since November of 2014 with a better record than the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Come on with that. Isn't that just the favor of God on our football team? It is. It really is. It's the favor of God on the Browns. Every yard is a grace. <laughs> One yard at a time. And then... 
you guys, what about Baker? Right? Was he not throwing BBs? This dude. Ah, so good. God is writing a new story with the Cleveland Browns. God is writing a new story in the city of Cleveland. And God is writing a new story in you. Here's the meta-narrative. It won't take five hours, I promise. Let's see how fast we can walk through this together. All of it foreshadows and points to Jesus. Every plot twist, every word is a sign that points to Jesus. In the beginning... Adam fell. Adam and Eve were put in the garden. And Adam disobeyed God and ate from the tree that God had told him not to eat from. The serpent was clever. And the serpent came and then turned the tables on Adam. See, I told you God didn't love you. As a result of Adam's disobedience, he was cursed. He had fallen. He, was, he and Eve were banished from the garden. Do you remember what God says to the serpent and to Eve in Genesis 3.15? He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Foreshadowed from the beginning of time, God is saying, rescue is coming. The serpent's head will be crushed in time. From the beginning, immediately after the fall, God is speaking hope and injecting hope into the story of humanity. But we didn't know how deep the fall went. The fall entered into, Adam's decision entered into every pore of humanity and, every, and trickled into every stream on the globe. The fall runs deep. We see again in Genesis 9 where Noah was told to build an ark. He was a righteous man. He built a boat because God said, I... This, this hurts my heart that men and women are choosing in the way of Adam and not choosing me. He says, Noah, build a boat. Noah builds a boat and his family is spared and the rest of the world is wiped off the face of the earth. God's heart is hurting. And so God puts a rainbow in the sky. And in Genesis 9, we read this. God said, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you. A covenant for all generations, all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. God remembers again his promise that hope is coming, just like he told when the serpent... uh, tempted Adam and Eve. Hope is coming. Hope is injected. So every time that you see a rainbow in the sky, you should remember that my God keeps his promises. My God keeps his promises. He's faithful and he's true to his word. Abraham, he chooses uh, some dude named Abraham 
in the middle of nowhere. And he says to Abraham that I will bless you, God says. I'll be with you for to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and confirm the oath I swore to your father. Um, Yeah, so, oh, Moses, sorry. Okay, so in Abraham we see God choosing a people. Choosing a people to call his own, that we belong to God, or the Jews did in those days. We see Moses, the Israelites find themselves in trouble again, and they're put into slavery under the Egyptians. The Passover lamb, every year, since then, has been given as a sign that points to Jesus, God raises Moses up to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians after years of slavery. Moses delivers the people from slavery. And the last plague that hits the Egyptians is the plague of the firstborn. And God says, take the lamb, one without blemish, and take the blood from the lamb and wipe the blood of the lamb over the doorposts of your house. And when the angel of death sees the blood on the doorposts, he will pass over that house. You will live and you won't die. Today, the blood of the lamb speaks. In those days, it foreshadows who Jesus is. When the blood of the lamb is wiped over the doorposts of our lives, we have life and not death. Moses delivers his people from slavery. Habakkuk, the prophets, the prophets tell of Jesus. Habakkuk in chapter 2 says that God's story for us, God's intent, God's purpose is to saturate every single poor that's been affected by the fall. With the, glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. How can the waters cover the sea? What does that even mean? Our purpose, our destiny is to be saturated. Every plant, every mouse, every house, every person, every sandwich. Everything saturated with the glory of God, a sponge, the earth as a sponge that when squeezed always fills back up again with the knowledge of the glory of the coming of the Lord. Isaiah prophesies, a king is coming, David rules on the throne, a sign of Jesus, and then Jesus hits the scene. Jesus hits the scene And everything changes. Jesus hits the scene and we see a stronger Adam. Where Adam fell and could not resist temptation, Jesus did. We see a stronger Moses where Moses was only able to deliver the Israelites. Jesus says, by my death I'll deliver everybody. Not just the Jews, but all of us. You see, before, us who would call ourselves Gentiles, I would assume the greater number of us in the room this morning, would not even be allowed close to where Yahweh was. 
In fact, the priests who served Yahweh had to have a rope tied around their foot in order to be in the presence of God. And us Gentiles had a court all to ourselves way, way, way far away from where the presence of God dwelt. Jesus is a stronger Moses. He's a stronger Adam. All of these things point to Jesus. And Jesus lives his life without sin, without offending the heart of God. And then it happens. The cross is the turning point. The cross is where the kingdom of God is inaugurated. And we all wanted a conquering king, a loud politician who would demolish his enemies, someone who would bring armies and chariots to destroy anybody that got in his way. That's what we think of when we think of authority. This, this is what we think of when we think of power, when we think of influence. That's who we want. We want a strong king. And Jesus says, nope, I'm a stronger king because I lay down my life. He says, I've taken the sword and turned it into a plowshare. He says, he says to Peter, why did you just cut that dude's ear off? Sticks it back on the guard. Put your sword down. I did away with violence at the cross. He's a stronger deliverer, a stronger leader. And the turning point is at the cross when he's not a victim, but he willingly lays down his life. This is the story of God, and it doesn't end there. He dies. Jesus goes underground and dies all the way dead. No breath in his lungs. All done. And then from out of nowhere, the plot twists. And God the Father exerts power to raise him up from the grave. Something that would have been unparalleled in this culture, in this society. No one had any reference. People don't come back from the dead. Once you're dead, you're dead. There's no afterlife. There's nothing. You go to sleep. You sleep now. You sleep forever. You're nothing. Poof. Gone. And Jesus comes back and says, I'm not a ghost. You're, you're not hallucinating. He, he says of himself, I am the resurrection. I am the, not just that there is resurrection, but that he is resurrection. He is life. Everlasting. Do you see, Thomas? I'm real. Put your, put your finger in my side. Do you see, John? Do you see, Peter? I'm eating fish. Dead men don't eat fish. And then the Father raises him up even higher. And seats him at the right hand of the Father. He ascends. He goes up or through. And the Holy Spirit comes down. 
And this is where we find ourselves in the story. How am I doing on time? That wasn't five hours. That was pretty good, y'all. I mean, the whole history of the universe in like 10 minutes. I'd say I deserve a pat on the back for that. That was like really good. Yeah, thanks a lot. That was really good. That was the story of God in like 10 minutes. Time's up. No, not yet. Because that's not the best part, is it? (laughs) Great timing on that. That was not the best part. Not the best part. What's our place in the story? That's great. That's great, we say. We see it between goalposts, John 3.16, Every Sunday, that's great. God, God so loved the world, that's great. Died for me, died for you, man, that's great. What's that mean? What, is that, what does that even mean? What's our place in the story? Paul writes in Ephesians 2.17 that he came, Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Consequently, in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household. Side note, how do we treat foreigners and strangers? We treat them like God treated us, as members of his own, his very own household. You want to know how Jesus feels about refugees? How does Jesus feel about you? Jesus, oh, oh, oh. Don't you love? There we go. Don't you love the messiness? Isn't it good? Isn't it good that your pastor makes mistakes and doesn't have it all together? It's fun. We were estranged from God. None of us came out of the womb perfect. We're far from him. Our place in the story What's our place in the story? Our place in the story was distant. But you know, mission is so entwined with identity. Paul is introducing and reminding the Ephesians that you play a role. You play a role in the story, not as a hired hand, but as a son or a daughter and rewriting The story of all things. That is immense. That is huge. That's huge. That means that God has, as Paul said, broken in Christ, has broken down the wall of hostility that's between you and himself. His heart in that is like, I don't want there to be any distance between us. I want to be face to face with you. And we say, oh God, I can't. I can't show you this part, even though he already sees. I can't. It's too dark. It's too bad. This was done to me. I did this to, per- to, to this person. I can't show you this. And God says, to heck with that. The wall of hostility is broken. And Jesus, you get to be free. You get to be who you are. And who you are is treasured. Who you are is chosen. Who you are is adored by the heart of God. The same God who broke down the wall of hostility and says, welcome home. Welcome to the family. 
Welcome home. He doesn't just call you a son or daughter. He doesn't stop there. Dayenu. But he goes further and he puts his spirit inside of you. He doesn't just say, as Jason reminded us last week, okay, Christ died for your sins. Have fun, guys. We'll see you later. As Christ ascends, the Holy Spirit, something, something, of, something of earth went out with Jesus ascending to heaven, and something of heaven came in to earth in the person of the Holy Spirit. So Christ says, I'm not going to leave you alone. You're not on your own. I'm going to send you the comforter. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the power source. And this is what I feel like is so crucial for us, Vineyard Cleveland. Is that when Christ dies on the cross, and you say, I want to identify myself with you, Jesus. I want to identify myself with you, God. I'm sick of the hostility, the wall of hostility in between you and I. I want to be with you. When we say that, and when we acknowledge Jesus is who he says he is, you get all, all that was on Jesus now is on you. And as we, as a community, wake up to the reality that the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power, Paul says, is in you, is living on the inside. When you breathe, he breathes. That he's walking with you. That he's not left you alone. You can face anything. That's when the culture around us starts to shift. It's not better services. It's not more meetings. It's not spiritual activity. It's not you giving money to the poor. It's not going to more church services. It's not trying to be good on your own and failing after the millionth time. It's not you trying to like not do bad things or to do more good things. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's the rumble in your belly that's not just for Applebee's, but that's for more of the kingdom of God. When you look around and you see the opioid epidemic in Cleveland and you think that's not right, that's not resurrection. When you look around and you see refugees mistreated in the city of Cleveland, you say, that's not right, that's not resurrection. We live in the now and the not yet where Jesus finished everything, put to death, death at the cross. But we live in the not yet. And you are plan A. I am plan A. We're plan A. There is no plan B. So when we pray, God, end the opioid epidemic in Cleveland, heaven's response is, so send I you. So send I you, Eben. The Holy Spirit lives and it's fire within us to affect change around us. Mission is so intertwined with identity. We can't get around it. We are a people of mission. If a church is not on mission, a church, it's not a church. Because the church is missional in its definition. We are 
the hope that we sang about this morning. Christ in you is the hope of glory, Paul says. We carry hope. We carry love. We carry joy. We carry peace. You carry it with you wherever you go. And you can't turn it on and off like a light switch. You just carry Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit of God in you. That's your part in the story. It seems like a, a daunting task to rewrite, <laughs> to rewrite the story of the world. Who am I, you say? It's a daunting task. That might be another sermon for another morning. Maybe Jason could talk to you about authority. Jason's a man of gentle authority. I know him. He carries it. You say, that's a daunting task. How, how do I do that? Well, Jesus tells his disciples the same thing that he tells you. you. You carry the authority of the Holy Spirit in you, the gentle authority of God to lead folks in love into life, into, into hope, out of depression and into hope. So what does that mean? Yeah, what does that mean for our relationships? It means that we've been given the Holy Spirit in order that we would affect everything and everyone around us. The church is not a bulwark from culture, but we're to engage culture. We're not to hide from the world. The big bad world's going to get us. No, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You're to carry culture. As we talked about in the first week, the, the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. You are plan A. You are to introduce culture in a way that's more powerful. Remember, um, tipping point, yeah. You remember, um, remember a time when people did not have uh, the little white earbuds and iPods? And then all of a sudden, here comes Steve Jobs. And then you see a couple people with iPods. And then you see a thousand people with iPods. And then you see iPhones and iWatches. That's culture, man. Steve Jobs introduced culture. In the same way, it is a sign of something greater. That we as a community are not to follow culture, but we are to introduce culture, a way. Culture means a way. The way that we do things, the way that we speak, the way that we love one another, the way that we welcome people, the way that we care for people, the way that we're kind to people. We're to introduce a foreign culture because now we're fellow citizens, we're sons and daughters. We say, no, 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 no. That's not the way that heaven does things. Heaven, heaven, there's no opioid epidemic in heaven. Are you aware of that? That's not the way that heaven does things. Heaven does it this way. And we, and we take the hand of an addict. Like at Hope Beyond Heroin last night. Ugh, how wonderful it was. We take the hand of an addict. We just serve him some mac and cheese. We serve them some mac and cheese. And we walk and we take a step. Jesus loves you. We serve them some chili. <laughs> We serve, we, serve, we serve them some spicy chili and we say, come on. And we take a walk into hope and into life. And you're doing that so wonderfully and so beautifully, Vineyard Cleveland. 
And as we awake, we'll find there's more. There's more in the power of the Holy Spirit. As we lean into relationship with one another and into relationship with Jesus, we'll see more, more and more the life and the power of the Holy Spirit through signs, wonders, miracles. Vineyard Cleveland, we're not called to be a country club. We believe that in the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, until the last, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your kingdom come. We'll see signs and wonders. We'll see the power of God through us. And what God is trying to say this morning is that Vineyard Cleveland, I want you to wake up to the power, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in you as a community. The power of the Holy Spirit that's resting on each one of you to wake up to that reality this morning. Good? Amen. Let's stand. We're going to worship together. Ah, so good.